Amen. That's right. Bobby, we're in world religions, cults, and the occult. Number 12, Scientology. And the new tagline we picked for this study is, hey, it's not science, and it's not ology, whatever you want to call it. It is science fiction occult, okay, is really what's going on there. And we're going to see that again even more tonight. Now, uh, to kind of set the uh, theme for what we're going to get into, we're still in the history of Scientology. But open your Bibles to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, we're going to take a look again. Uh, at this passage we've seen before, but again, it kind of sets the pace. We've already seen 2 Peter 2, I believe, about in the last days, you're going to have false teachers come and they're going to introduce the, uh, heresies and deny the Lord, etc. And they're going to do it to rip you off of your cash, okay? And that certainly is true with Scientology because you've got to pay to get the info, right? But we're going to see also kind of the theme for tonight. And uh, if you get in the way of uh, Mr. Hubbard's desire to make cash and be famous, he's not only going to lie, he's going to threaten you. And ultimately, might even threaten to kill you, right? But let's take a look at this passage. Jesus said, where does that kind of lying, murderous behavior come from? So John chapter 8, and uh, let's take a look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, then you would what? You would love me. You'd love Jesus, for I came from God, and now I'm here. I've not come on my own accord, but he, the Father, sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the who? The devil. Well, how do you know that? Well, because here's what he does, and here's what you're wanting to do, these people, to Jesus. Right? Even today, this is where it all comes from. You want to carry out your father's desire, the devil. He was a what? A murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Now, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the what? And the father of lies. And that is what we're going to see basically, again, continuing on the journey of Scientology, the history with Mr. L. Ron Hubbard. You're going to see this baby is packed full of lies. And, of course, we're going to see he gets into, if we get that far, his hit squad that he launches against people and with their murderous threats and behavior. Okay, the same thing that's going on here. But we've already seen, by way of recap, again, recap the history we've seen this. L. Ron Hubbard, of course, is where this all came from. We saw that he was involved from the age early on into the occult, but he also got involved in the occult, again, with Mr. Parsons, Jack Parsons, the Crowler. That was our first study. Then last time we saw even more with the occult behavior, the occult background, the occult practices in the book that basically is the Scientology's Bible, if you will, to use that term, the book Dianetics, okay? And remember we ended off, why did he call it Dianetics? Does it really mean through the mind or does it really have to do with the occult uh, Dianism as we saw with the sex magic with a K, remember magic with a K, okay? And that's that. So now what we're going to do is we're continuing the, the history. Here's L. Ron Hubbard involved in the occult, doing occult stuff, comes out with Dianetics, and then now we're going to start to see how did it go from Dianetics, okay, to now this thing called Scientology, okay, is where we're at tonight. Now, let's back up a little bit into the occult. Now, again, remember he came out with Dianetics in like around 1950-ish, right? Remember that? Okay, so this is in 1952. Again, early on, Scientology, like many of the occults, as we've seen before, they kind of clean up what their leader really said and really did, and then they hide them away from you, okay? But L. Ron Hubbard, originally, he didn't have any problem admitting to audiences that what he was writing came straight out of the occult. Okay, let me give you some of that evidence, okay? This is in 1952. He recorded a series of audio lectures, and he connects uh, Crowley's, remember him? Aleister Crowley's, his magic, K, rituals, with the practices of Scientology. So he admitted it vocally out in public okay he also explains the use of tarot cards and discusses the magic cults of the 8th and 12th centuries and remember we actually heard in our first study the actual audio clip of him admitting and recommending the master therium okay which was uh, crowley's work i believe uh that was uh on, the only modern work uh that he would he would help to recommend Okay, which is an occult book. So he, he admitted that on tape. And he also, remember on tape, he admitted that Aleister Crowley is my friend. Right? So again, early on he admitted that, oh yeah, I got this from the occult. Right? No big deal. Right? And, uh, but you don't hear about that today, by and large. Now, in the book of the law, which Crowley wrote in the book, this is the whole premise of what Aleister Crowley uh, wrote, right, in his occult stuff. He says, the whole and the sole object of all true magical training, remember magic with a K, magical training is, listen, is to become free from every kind of limitation. 
is we saw even the secularists would say Aleister Crowley was the wickedest man that ever lived. Okay, because he did anything and everything, no limitation, all kinds of immorality you can think of, dark, bleh. Okay, he lived it up to the max. But remember, what was his premise and what he wrote and what he was doing with the occult? That the whole object is to free yourself from any kind of limitation. Again, a disciple of Crowley in the future is an Anton LaVey. That's where we get the Satanic Bible. That's where you get the Satanism as we know it today. Uh, certainly, unfortunately, here in the, the West. Uh, what's the goal? Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. So it's the same thing. All limitations. Do whatever you want to do. That's the heart of Crowleyite teaching, the occult. That's at the heart of Satanism. And I went and did that to say this. Hubbard said, what's the purpose of his movement? Scientology. Quote, our whole activity is to make the individual completely independent of any limitation. Exact same thing as Crowley and the occult, the dark arts, Satanism, and Scientology. He admits it. But of course they say, oh, it's free from limitation to achieve the human potential. You can become clear. Dude, you admitted early on. The founder admitted early on. This is good, according to him. The whole goal of life is don't you tell me what to do nothing. Right? That spirit of rebellion. Okay. Now, also, during this, and this was in Philadelphia, Hubbard jokes publicly, listen, that, and I quote, he is the prince of darkness, which is met with laughter by the audience. Crazy, crazy. Now, now, let's get into, it gets even worse than that. You think, well, that's just, maybe he was just joking. I might want to listen to his kids, right? And this is one of his kids, uh, uh, Hubbard Jr., uh, later changed his name, Ronald DeWolf. We'll see him in just a second. He said that uh, his father believed that he was the successor of Aleister Crowley and that he had taken the mantle of the great beast, Aleister Crowley, right? This is Hubbard saying this to his son. And he told him that Scientology actually began on December 1st, 1947, the day Aleister Crowley died. So uh, Hubbard early on admitted publicly and also even to his own family, who's now spilled the beans, okay, that he is basically taking Aleister Crowley, the occult, this kind of belief forward with Scientology. But again, they don't tell you that today. He also goes on to say, Hubbard, listen to this, and this is part of the stuff that they don't tell you about, right, that's locked away. Hubbard mentions the book of Revelation and his prophecy of a time when an arch enemy of Christ, referred to as the Antichrist, will reign. According to Hubbard, the Antichrist represents the forces of Lucifer. And Hubbard said, quote, My mission could be said to fulfill the biblical promise represented by this period of the Antichrist. He admitted it, right? Okay. Now, also, he starts to talk about Jesus. Now, remember that they'll say, Oh, no, Scientology is completely compatible with uh, Christianity. Remember we saw that quote from Will Smith, right? And he said, oh, no, I was raised in a Baptist home and Scientology, you know, 98% the same thing. No big deal. Really? Listen to what Hubbard said, quote, about Jesus. And I quote, he taught that the historic Jesus was not nearly the sainted figure he's been made out to be. Really? Oh, it gets worse. In addition, this is from L. Ron Hubbard. He said that Jesus was a lover of young boys and men. So you're, is he saying Jesus is a homosexual and a pedophile? And it gets even more. He said, and Jesus, he said, was given to uncontrollable bursts of temper and hatred, which is a sin, by the way. Excuse me? And yet you're supposed to be completely compatible with Christianity? What a lie. What a smokescreen, okay? Now, let's go in further with his son. Uh, again, uh, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard Jr. Of course, he obviously had a falling out with his dad. He was involved early on with Scientology, Okay. But uh, he left later, 1959, he changed his name to Ronald DeWolf. Okay, didn't want to have nothing to do with his dad. Okay, now in the 80s, he gives a series of sworn statements. I'm going to share you a video clip in a second. Of the, I got it on tape. It's wild. Okay, and he said that his father had been deeply involved in the occult and black magic. Again, he believed that uh, his dad was taking over the mantle of Aleister Crowley. And he claimed, quote, black magic is the inner core of Scientology. And, quote, he said, my father did not worship Satan. He thought he was Satan. And that's the tip of the tip of the iceberg. I got, I'm going to share with you, it's about a six-minute clip. I pared it down as much as I can, but it's just example after example after example example. L. Ron Hubbard was a big 
Liar. Over and over again. He was involved in the occult. This is straight out of the occult. What he's teaching, he just put a spin on it. He twists it, but he is just full of lies. He made up his religion to make some serious cash. So let's watch his son admit where Scientology really came from. Absolutely wild. So let's take a look at this. Ronald DeWolf. Ronald, pardon me. Ronald DeWolf. Ronald Edward DeWolf. Are you the uh, natural son of uh, L. Ron Hubbard? Yes, I am. Uh, this is how your father originally gained his main source of income? Um, yes, it was. Uh, there are, uh, but the problem there is a lot of his writing. Uh, he didn't really write as many words as he said he did. Uh, through the early 50s, he used to tell everybody that he had written uh, seven million words of fiction. But uh, in fact, it probably never exceeded a million words. And that's then much of that has been written and said about your father uh, is a figment of his imagination, which you... That's quite correct. But I could say flatly that 99% of what my father wrote about his own life and what he had done is false. Was he really in the... Uh, war and shut up and healed himself with his own mind and uh, he practice. was in the Navy during World War two but he wasn't shot up okay what about his education or background? blinded excuse me sir sir are you finished I, I, no, I said he was never wounded or blinded uh, would you like to go into uh, how far in college did he indeed go and what degrees has he had? Uh, he spent a few uh, months as far as college is concerned at uh, George Washington University uh, and one of the major points that uh, he has said that he he has said that he has a degree in uh, engineering at one point uh, there was a degree in nuclear engineering now of course that changed as far as any nuclear engineering is concerned he only took one semester and he received an F as in failure for the for the one semester he also claimed he did a lot of underwater research for the University of Michigan. Uh, do you know about that? No, he did not do that. And uh, does he have any background, to your knowledge, to a scientific background that auditing could be a plausible and worthwhile medical or... Uh, no, of course not. Or, uh, no. The, okay. Uh, just something he made up then, auditing. Auditing is just something he made up or... Yes, but... The incidents in Dianetics Modern, Dianetics Modern Science and Mental Health uh, came from, um, generally from his imagination, and I don't know how many thousands of people uh, have uh, been audited on those particular incidents, like return to the clam, that is where genetically you were a clam, and you're, you're having jaw trouble, and that was a, one of the basis of, according to Scientology, my father, that's one of the basis of uh, bad teeth bad having trouble with your jaws because you were having an engram as a clam um, 50 trillion years ago his leap of logic was at the time that he was talking about leukemia and cancer was is that uh, cancer is is uh, cells which are dividing and dividing of cells is a sexual thing and uh, as in prenatal activity or conception and uh, so therefore, the basis, the basis of all cancer is sex. Uh, you have a, if you're having big bad problems with sex in the early childhood or, or something like that, and this is what's causing your cancer. And what about being a celibate? Hmm? If you're a celibate, would that eliminate the possibility of having cancer? Well, that could also cause cancer because of your lack of, of uh, sexual activity. <laughs> uh, I guess there's no way you can win. That's correct. <laughs> He asked me to sit down on the couch, and uh, uh, I was high on Benzedrine, on Benny's, and we uh, started uh, doing, quote, research on, uh, on a book called uh, History of Man. So we spent a couple, three days on that. Spent a, here's a book here, the Scientology, A History of Man. Here's a copy of it. And all of the incidents... He did a few with Mary Sue, but the majority of incidents uh, in it were off the top of my head as I had uh, upwards of uh, 20, 30 milligrams of uh, 
Benny's in me. It's a very small book for the history of man. Yes. Uh, how many pages? And this is, uh, but the thing about this interesting, interesting thing about the book is, is that this is a purported to be, it is presented as, these are incidents which are common to all, everybody's past. This is the uh, PR output. This is the thrust of the book, is that these are early genetic incidents in the ancient uh, primordial past of each and every man, woman, and child on Earth. And uh, they came out of my drug trip. Then it's safe to assume that he became a religion because he could keep more of the money. Correct. My father only knew how to do one thing, and that was to destroy people. I mean, he would not, uh, he could not do anything uh, lightly. To him, anybody who did anything against him, criticized him, uh, he would just flat go after their throat. And we'll see how he does that uh, literally uh, in just a little bit. But what you're seeing is you see a guy who not only was involved in the occult, literally, according to his son, didn't say worship Satan. He thought he was Satan. So what's he do? He just can't help himself. What is it? Lie after lie after lie. Who tells the lies? Who's the father of lies? Satan. Again, now we're going to get into the behavior. Oh, don't you mess with my religion. I came up. I'm coming after you right is what he's talking about so basically that's kind of where that is we're into the dynetics and you need to understand that to a scientologist they believe with this information from l ron hubbard that they are here to save the planet literally they're on a mission to save the world because they're taking his techniques that came straight out of the occult of course and what they believe is we need to help everybody get out of that clam stage can you believe that can you say the clam the reason why you got teeth problems <laughs> Whatever. But again, as you know, trillions of years, that's an evolutionary mindset. That's another lie, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But they believe that their goal is to get the whole planet clear so that the whole planet will have no limitations to achieve your potential, which again is straight out of Crowleyism. Uh, even Satanists say no limitations whatsoever. But that's their goal. They really think he's got this so twisted around that they think they are here to save the planet. Okay, And that they just need to get everybody to go through this Dianetic processing. Okay. Now, speaking of that, let's go from, okay, he came out with Dianetics, that's the occult tie. How does he go into this Scientology? Well, what we're going to see is basically he goes from uh, rags quickly to riches, then he goes back to rags, and then he goes to riches and lots of trouble and just slowly continues where he's at today. But the reason why he continues to go upward instead of back down again uh, is because of the basically the Scientology military that he sets up, okay, uh, to silence people who would disagree. But let's go look at this. Take a look. Dianetics, of course, is where he's at. He goes from here. He writes Dianetics. How do you get to Scientology? Well, Dianetics, first of all, when it first came out, it was, quote, an immediate commercial success. This is where he goes from rags. Remember, he was struggling most of his life trying to make a living, eking out books and stuff and lying and doing all that stuff. Here's where he goes this first time up. Okay, Dianetics comes out. It's a commercial success. Listen, he's, his book, uh, by August 1950, Hubbard's book sold 55,000 copies. It was selling at a rate of 4,000 a week. Right? Runaway bestseller. It was being translated into French, German, Japanese. 500 Dianetic auditing groups had been set up across the United States. So this thing, he gets this book finally, woohoo, he hits it big. Okay, uh, from his uh, uh, point of view. Now, uh, he also, just like today, he uses Hollywood, you know, people that people look up to, supposedly these idols and blah, 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 and all that stuff. Well, they're doing it. The, you know. He did the same thing that helped him go off so big initially because he had some big individuals that got involved. Uh, some of them was from his science fiction writers' uh, friends. Uh, Aldous Huxley, he uh, received auditing training from Hubbard himself, uh, a poet named Gene Toomer, another science fiction writer, Theodore Sturgeon, another one, A.E. Van Vogt, uh, became uh, a Dianetic auditor. He literally got so into it initially that he temporarily quit writing and he became a head of their Los Angeles branch. Okay, but these are big, well-known, well-to-do people. They get involved, and guess what? So they're, well, look, they're doing it. They're saying it's great. Same premise that's going on today. We'll probably, again, have a whole study just on Hollywood. Why do they target Hollywood? Okay, uh, now, uh, Dianetics, it was not cheap, because remember, what was it about? Making cash, okay? But a great many people were willing to pay. 
the writer Van Vogt, he called, listen, quote, basically every day he would do nothing but tear open envelopes, pull out $500 checks. This was in the 50s, right? $500 checks from people who were just dying to take an auditor course. So people initially jumped on this thing, oh, because he sold it again as a panacea. This is going to give you a bigger IQ. This is going to fix all your ills and heal your body and achieve limitless potential and all that stuff. And, and so anyway, so, so that goes on. Then, of course, with that kind of cash raking in, he's got all these centers. The book's going nuts. He's making money hand over fist. Okay, uh, Hubbard, listen to this. The vote guy, he saw Hubbard taking a lump sum. First of all, his month's income, this is back in 1950, I believe, $90,000 a month. Okay, that, that's, that's a lot back in 1950, but that ain't nothing. Then he would just randomly come up to the L.A. Foundation, right? And he would uh, just grab, like, for instance, quote, taking a lump sum equivalent today of a half a million dollars. So you're making 90 grand a month back in 1950, and you say, oh, I need some more cash. Here's a half a million, right? This guy had it going, and boy, he, he must have thought. It was a Dynetics uh, boom, so to speak, okay? And of course, what he did was he went around, he lectured on it, he taught on it. Then he had all these famous other people who bought into it. So he's living it up, man. He's doing big. He finally achieved it, right? With his dream, with his occult uh, uh, thing with Dynetics. And, and he was a very charismatic guy. You read a lot of reports, I don't have to get into it. They would say, man, he just spellbound when he spoke. He just, because that dude could tell a story, right? <laughs> but he did, but he was very charismatic, right? And he could, there'd be, oh, they hung on his every word, right? So here he is, he's going on, he's on this first scale up here. He's riding high, man. He's going good. He's making money coming out of uh, this. And but then all of a sudden, dun, 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 he starts running into restriction, here starts coming the negative reports. The negative reports started to come from the scientific and the medical community. Shocker. And they begin to examine this. Now it's been out long enough. They can get a copy. They can see what's going on. They can put it to the test. And uh, they began to say, this is a bunch of baloney. Now, let me give you a couple quotes. The New Republic called it, right? Quote, this is Dianetics, a bold mixture of complete nonsense taken from crazy, newly invented terminology. Actually, that's very accurate because that's what it is. They forgot the word occult, though. Okay. Now, then he started to crack with some of his fellow uh, science fiction writers. Uh, they began to criticize it, calling it gibberish uh, or a lunatic revision of Freudian psychology. Right. So you got to go back in the past, you know, find out why that clam kept his mouth, you know. So, so that's what they would do. So now, uh, then on top of that, so now here comes the medical community, the scientific community. There's starting to be some cracks in the dam there with the supporters giving into it. Then the individuals who were supposed to achieve the state of perfection, they become clear. They're perfect. They have no limitations. Achieving total human potential. Some of those people said, okay, these people, because he said, well, see, that person's clear. They achieved the goal. Be like them. Well, they, they began to come out and say, mm, I don't think so, right? Now, let me give you one, one of the guys. This is a, a guy named uh, Winter is his last name. He became disillusioned and wrote that he had never seen a convincing clear. Quote, I've seen some individuals who are supposed to have been clear, but their behavior does not conform to the definition of the state. So in other words, you could say they are, but it doesn't add up. Then here comes the big bombshell. So he's already starting. He's got this peak going, but uh, here comes the resistance. They're trying to pull him down. Here comes the medical community, the scientific community, and people are starting to crack his friends. And now they're saying, oh, I don't, I've never seen it clear. But the big one that just, whoa, shoved him down was this event. Now, what happened was he was in L.A., and uh, he was before an audience of 6,000 people at Shrine Auditorium in L.A., and he was given a demonstration of a lady, her name was Sonia Bianca, and she was supposed to be clear, perfect, right? And so he, he goes out there, the, he does a test on her, and uh, he said, as a result of her undergoing Dianetic therapy, she now per possessed perfect recall. Well, as it uh, went, historically, in the demonstration that followed, she failed to remember a single formula in physics, the subject she was majoring in or the color of Hubbard's tie when the back when his back was turned and at this point the audience got up and left boom okay now I'm going to share with you a reenactment of that there's actually a movie out there it's called The Prophet okay and spelled of course with a very fitting prophet p-r-o-f-i-t and it's out there and basically they've changed the name instead of Dianetics you'll see it's called Psy Mind 
right? Instead of L. Ron Hubbard, it's a different guy. Instead of uh, Sonia Bianca, it's another lady. But basically, I'm going to share with you from that movie the scene of what happened and why he was starting out so strong, and boom, he goes back down to the bottom. But let's take a look at what happened. Yes, there is a chance for mankind. Because tonight, the breakthroughs of Psy Mind have taken the mind of man to a new state. A state of mind that will bring man from the darkness into the light. And tonight, you are going to meet the first person in the world to attain this state of perfection. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you Miss Barbara Lewis. Now, Babs, since you've attained this state of perfection, how has your life changed? Well, doctor, all my psychosomatic illnesses have been eliminated. I used to have allergies, and they're completely gone. Oh, and I no longer need my eyeglasses. <laughs> and has it improved your mind? My IQ has gone up 20 points. And my memory is perfect. <laughs> hey, you want to ask us a question? Of course, of course. <laughs> yes, sir, you have a question. You're supposed to have a perfect memory. What's the state capital of Vermont? Montpelier. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yes, sir, you have a question. Let me test your mental ability. What's 846 times 222? 187,812. <laughs> yes, sir, do you have a question? Me? No, 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 not you, the gentleman directly behind you. Hey, what is this, a setup? Let me ask my question. You say you read this book? What's on page 133? No, I don't think that's much of a test. Uh, somebody else have a question, please? Okay. If you got such a perfect memory, what's the color of Mr. Power's tie? I, uh... I, uh... I don't remember. May I have another question? Anybody else? Yeah, what you have for breakfast April 1st? She sure didn't eat her Wheaties! <laughs> and that's what they did. They began to leave in droves. So here he went, man, going high, and all of a sudden, that big event coupled with the scientific community, the medical community, and other people starting to say, Donnie, this ain't working. Boom, he hits solid ground. Now, isn't that funny, that state of perfection? Because that's really what it is. Of course, they changed the name Simon and the lady's name, his name, Mr. Powers, is Hubbard. Okay. Uh, but I thought it was very interesting. Um, not only was it set up with the previous questions, and they got messed up, right? Chicanery, lying. Okay. But uh, state of perfection, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but uh, they didn't bring out her husband. That always messes up the theory, doesn't it, man? You think you're good, things are going happening, and then all of a sudden your spouse says, oh yeah? Let me tell you some stories, right? So again, he didn't bring out the spouse. Let's just move on. I digress. Okay, but anyway, so that's what happened. So he starts off, woo, he's pulling out half a million, he's making cash, and then boom. So do you think he's going to let that go easy? Uh-uh. Now this is starting to get the birth pace. He's got to get this baby back, got to get this train rolling again, and don't get in his way. Again, what we're seeing is the birth of basically don't ever get in my way again. I will never hit rock bottom again. I don't care what I got to do, who I got to threaten. Nobody's taking this away 
right? So let's, let's begin that journey. So basically after this bombshell, that was a big fiasco, obviously on top of everything else. Now basically people are leaving in droves. The New Jersey Foundation was in financial crisis. The LA Foundation was basically today's equivalent in the whole uh, one and a half million dollars. Hubbard's publisher of his book resigned, didn't want to have nothing to do with him, of course, after all this stuff. Uh, by 51, the New Jersey Foundation and all its branches had closed. He starts having more marital problems, shocker, because he has another affair he has an affair with a 17 year old uh, uh, girl uh, and then his wife begins to hang out with somebody else in Dianetics uh, Sarah which is his second wife who he cheated on from his first wife so he's going through all that stuff and then actually what was interesting again he lies just constantly so his second wife Sarah who's now hanging out with this other guy well as if he's mr. innocent anyway uh, he's sleeping with this other teenager basically okay who is to become his third wife okay but uh, then he actually approaches the fbi to try to set up his second wife and this fellow that she's hanging with okay and she went to the fbi to say that these guys are communist infiltrators just to stir trouble up with them and you know have the fbi come and take him down whatever and but that what happened was uh they began to take notice of mr hubbard and the fbi agent at that time uh said quote he quote appears mental FBI record, right? Now, so basically, uh, Hubbard then, he kind of goes crazy. They're going into the financial straits. Everything's closing up. Uh, he seizes his second wife there, Sarah. They had a, a one-year-old daughter at that time, forcibly took them to San Bernardino, California, where he attempted to, unsuccessfully, but he attempted to find a doctor to, quote, examine Sarah and declare her insane. He tried, but he couldn't get a doctor who would sign off on that. Of course, then she files for a divorce, et cetera, et cetera. So all this is going on. Dianetics is going down the tubes. It looks like it's over. He had his little day in the sun. And it's, well, here came a guy, a guy named Don Purcell, who basically bails him out. Okay. He was a millionaire businessman. He was into originally Dianetics. He got into it. Okay. And he basically bails Hubbard out. They move their headquarters to basically uh, Wichita in kansas okay and things seem to be like okay i got some cash flow we can get back going we you know we can see. but then the courts caught up to him and this new foundation in wichita uh became liable for all the debts of the new jersey outlet so basically then the wichita the kansas one had to go bankrupt okay because of that uh they became liable for that hubbard resigns immediately then he establishes what's called uh the hubbard college remember because he's just got to keep something going he's got to keep this thing going right he establishes what's called the hubbard college okay on the other side of town <laughs> right and uh, while he is now he's now in a position he has to fight this don purcell guy over the rights of dianetics right because purcell basically bailed him out but then he got ownership right but then he had to go bankrupt because he became liable with all the other debt from the other foundations originally, right? But he still owned this. Well, Hubbard's got to get it back, right? So now he's in that kind of a predicament. So how's he going to get back? Well, he after only six weeks of the Hubbard College, he quits that, and here's where we start to get into Scientology. Why did he start? How did it go from this book to Scientology, right? So he closes that school down. He goes to Phoenix. He establishes what's originally called a Hubbard Association of Scientologists International, okay? And then it became the science of certainty, hence Scientology, right? So that's kind of where we're at with that. Now, basically, people are saying the real reason why he did this was to get control back over his creation, uh, quote, uh, that he would be able to stay in business even if the courts eventually awarded Dianetics to Mr. Purcell. So basically, this was way, he basically was starting a whole other foundation, okay, just in case he couldn't get Dianetics back, and that's really what we have with Scientology. It was during this time that he also developed, because again, he's got to somehow legitimize it. Remember, it went up in flames? This is when he came out with his incredible E-meter. Remember that thing? Thank you, both thing that he said, quote, it was an almost mystical power of a machine to reveal an individual's innermost thoughts. No, it's not. It was a glorified uh, ohm meter that you can get at the hardware store for 20 bucks and you hold two pop cans, right? And they still use it today, but it's, remember, it's called a religious device, 
right? But that's, again, him trying to, you know, and, and now he's going to science, Scientology. So he comes up with this scientific method to read your thoughts and declare if you got these negative engrams and it's an old meter, right? But again, that's the impetus. He's trying to get this thing going back again, okay? Then, of course, he's, he's hitting the road again, right? Because he's a charismatic figure. I'll get him, you know, from this angle. And he's doing lectures and all that stuff. And uh, he just continues to go about it. And then, he's, he, he, again, he just makes these promises. He's lying through his teeth. He said, with this information, you would have the ability to make your body young or old. You would have the ability to heal the ill without physical contact, right? That sounds like Christian science, doesn't it? Right? And then you would have the ability to cure the insane and the incapacitated, right? So basically, uh, then he, he takes it and he learned a lesson, if you want to call it that. I don't mean it in a positive sense, just explain his behavior. He learned a lesson from when he got with Dianetics. Dianetics, when he first started, right, he had these groups over here, and, and they could start a group and promote it and help join the club, right? And then this group over here could start it and help and promote the club. It's kind of a little bit loose-fitting. Not anymore. Oh, no. He puts a clamp on it this time. Nobody's going to do nothing other than what I say. I will have total control because yeah, I am working my way back up to here. Right? I had a taste of it. I want it back. And that's what he did with Scientology. So Scientology is radically different, and they still do it today uh, because of this. Training procedures and doctrines were standardized. You had to follow exactly what he said to do. Auditors were not permitted to deviate at all from what Hubbard said to do. Branches, or what they call, I believe even till this day, is called orgs. Okay, Branches or orgs. Okay, we're organized as franchises. Listen to this. Tell me this whole, as if this really isn't your goal. Give me a break. You set it up like a franchise. And listen, rather like a, quote, fast food restaurant chain. Listen to how the system works. Each franchise holder was required to pay 10% of income to Hubbard Central Organization. What's it sound like? You want to go today and get in McDonald's? You don't just say, I'm going to do McDonald's. It's a franchise. You have to pay up front, and then you have to give a percentage of the proceeds, no matter what, to the headquarters. Well, this is how he sets up Scientology, right? So he sets up his franchise. Now, listen to this. They only had to pay 10% of the income back to Hubbard's central organization, to him, basically. But they were expected to find recruits known as, I'm not making this up, raw meat. <laughs> it's just like a hamburger joint, man. It's making cash. Now, they were restricted though, these franchises that he had total control over and they had to give back a percentage, period. But they were also restricted from providing, all they could do was provide basically entry-level services. Now, if somebody, and they still had to give 10% back to him, but if somebody wanted to advance to the higher degrees, which cost way more, they couldn't do it. They had to be referred to him and at the headquarters. Because that's where the bigger bucks are. So you see, the, it's almost like a, a pyramid scheme he's setting up there uh, with this. Okay. Then he goes to the UK and he grabs control of the group that had started over there in London. His wife's starting to have uh, some more kids. And of course, the birth of their first daughter over there. And what did he name her? Diana. Remember, we saw that last time. Gee, that's interesting. He's got this fascination with Diana. Okay. But anyway, so uh, then at that point, he receives, again, he's got to get this rolling. See, it, it crashed and burned. They made fun of him. What a joke and whatever. So he goes out and he gets a doctorate. He becomes Dr. L. Ron Hubbard because he studied so hard. And as you saw his son, what? That's a liar, right? So he got a doctorate from the, quote, Sequoia University. You ever heard of it? Yeah, probably not because it's a degree mill, right? And they gave him a doctorate, quote, given in recognition of his outstanding work on Dianetics. So immediately upon getting this doctorate, I'm a doctor now, <laughs> I've come out with a pop machine, extruder electronic ohmmeter is really what it was, the e-meter thing, right? So he's trying to drum it up, man. This is, no, I'm telling you, this is scientific, man, right? And so he becomes a doctor, and then here's where it goes to the birth today. So now he says, I know I got this new organization, right? But I think I need to add my science, because I got to get this legitimated again. I'm going to fool people. Here's where he starts saying, how about we just go down the religion route? Now listen to the rationale as to why he did that. Okay, uh, the idea, first of all, was nothing new to Hubbard, although he does contradict himself because in Dianetics has a very negative view of religion. 
because he looks upon religion as a limiting factor and stuff. But all of a sudden, it's very convenient now because there's things you can gain by calling yourself a religion, right? And uh, he, he quoted back even in 1948, listen to this. He said, writing for a penny a word is ridiculous. If a man really wants to make a million dollars, the best way is to start his own religion. Well, now he does it. Now he does it, okay? He outlines the plan what's called spiritual guidance centers. Now, now he's starting to mix e-meters, science, with religious terms. So again, we're seeing the birth of Scientology, right? But again, it's his way of trying to grab control of this money-making thing, right? And he's starting to charge people in these spiritual guidance centers, they're called now, $500 for 24 hours of auditing. And he said, quote, that is real money, charge enough, and we'd be swamped. And they were, right? And it's kind of a weird human dynamic. You offer something for free, people think it's what? Cheap. You slap a price tag on it. In fact, uh, you know, and that's what marketing is all about. Slap a price tag on it, maybe a little bit higher than normal, but man, it must be good. It's crazy. So he did the same thing, but applied it to this new religion, right? Scientology's franchises now became Scientology churches. That's what we have today. That's all it is. It's a franchise. Can you imagine if somebody said the uh, McChurch? Let's go to the McChurch and have a religious experience with a Big Mac. Right? That's basically what he did with Scientology. He just flipped the switch and made it sound religious. But again, there's stuff to gain if you become a religion. So now, he then on top of that, he has the auditors begin to dress as clergymen, complete with clerical callers, right? And why? Because you got certain things to gain, right? Because remember, people mess with him. They intimidated him. They made fun of him. They said it wasn't working. It wasn't right, right? Now, he puts the guilt factor on him, and I quote, why do they want them to dress now in clerical uniforms? The Scientologists, the auditors, because he said, listen, if they were arrested in the course of their activities, Hubbard advised they should sue for massive damages for, quote, molesting a man of God going about his business. Right? So that was something to gain from that. He also told a few years later, he told Scientologists, quote, if attacked on some vulnerable point by anyone or anything, by any organization, always find or manufacture enough threat against them to cause them to sue for peace. Don't ever defend, always attack. And again, this is why, why is he doing this? This is my own theory, but I think he could trace the trail. He started off great. Hit rock bottom, oh no, I'm getting this baby back. You ain't taking it from me. And he puts the clamps down, right? And now from this point forward, I'm not only going to control this baby, I'm going to turn it into a religion so that you can't come after me. And so you can also get a tax write-off, okay, and things of that nature. And you could be considered nonprofit. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, but also he begins to go into this point. Don't you ever mess with me. He begins to use, they still do the same thing today, intimidation and the court system to basically make people submit, make people back off, right? And if anything, it's just a, it's a dollars and cents thing. Just continue to uh, do lawsuit after lawsuit, which guess who has to pay for it? You got to pay. And basically, uh, you know, you basically get sued out of existence. You know, either back off, and that's what happened with a lot of people. Now, go back to Dianetics. We left that open. Not anymore. He got it back. How? Because listen to what he did. He, he, he said that the lawsuits, the purpose was to harass and discourage. The law, he said, can be used very easily to harass, and enough harassment on somebody could ruin them utterly. So he did that to guess who? Mr. Don Purcell, who they were fighting over Dianetics. Okay, And in 1954, when Don Purcell was, quote, worn out by constant litigation, he gave in. He gave Dianetics back to Hubbard. Right? The same practices they do today, this is you're seeing the birth of it. Right? They still continue on uh, with that. Most of the independent Scientologists and Dynetics group, they were basically either driven out of existence or they were forced to submit and emerge with him. He was never going to let it get out of control again at this point. Right? Then he began to market it. It's again, it's a cure-all, medical stuff of that nature. And then it became, quote, highly profitable for him. Okay, and he organized it. Listen, that he was paid a percentage of the Church of Scientology's. No, now it's a religion. The Church of Scientology's gross income by 1957. Now he's back up here, right? Started up here. You thought that was a lot of money he was making. He crashed. Now he's back up here with all these 
clamps on it. <clears throat> now, 1957, he was being paid, okay, uh, yearly about $2.2 million. But again, I, I think it, basically on what I'm finding, that people don't even know what he really did because again, he had a practice of just, oh, I need some money, <laughs> right? But of what records there are, the guy is making big time buku bucks. He, at this point, he's just wealthy beyond his dreams. He got his goal uh, and uh, he bought a house in England. It was an 18th century uh, house or, formerly owned by Sawai Man Singh II. He was a Maharaja of Jaipur in India. So a guru, right? He buys the house. And basically that becomes the residence at that time for the international headquarters, the training for Scientologists, right? But in the 60s, okay, uh, he starts to run into some more problems. So now we're over here, 50. Now we're, he's back up on top again in the 60s, okay? But here it is, he starts to run into some problems. Now, he said that it's, again, he's just trying to be unduly precedent. I mean, he's here to clear the planet. He's here to help people. And it's just a martyr, and they're just coming after me, right? And that's how he presented it. He said that they were vicious and covert international attacks by the government, the U.S. government, and that it was a conspiracy of psychiatric front groups. And so basically, again, he could smell it, just like over here. Oh, no, man, I just made it to the top again. They're going to start coming after me again. Oh, no, you don't. And this is where he really puts the squeeze on anybody, right? Even within the own organization. Even the own organization today, they report on each other inside. Then that's a cult, right? Okay. But basically, he set up what was called uh, security checking at this point, right? Because it's like, oh, no, here they come. People are after me. They're trying to find, they're trying to dig up dirt on me. They're trying to find a crack in the system, right? And, and you know, I'm certainly not going to hit the auditorium and put it to the test again. But they're trying, right? So he set up security checking. Listen, and the members of the Church of Scientology, it's a church now, they were interrogated because he didn't trust anybody. He became extremely paranoid, even their own organization. But here's how we interrogated them with e-meter, the e-meter thing, the pop can thing. Right? Now listen to the questions they ask the person. Right? Quote, have you ever had unkind thoughts about L. Ron Hubbard? Now remember as we saw before with the ohm meter? What's one of the ways that uh, you'll cause the meter to go all the way to the right? Water and salt. Right? You get nervous, what do you do? You sweat. What's sweat made up of? Water and salt. And then here you are, you're being grilled. Right? Headquarters brings you in, and they're looking at you like, you're a secret spy. You're here to bring us down. And you're just... <laughs> right? And that's just that question. Any unkind thought? Listen to this. I kid you not. Right? Uh, Scientologists were even interrogated about crimes possibly committed in their past lives. Listen. And they're asked questions like this. Have you ever destroyed a culture? I don't know, me personally, that recently happened. There was like, a, it was like on the backside of the shower, and he used this chemical. There's like this black stuff growing there, whatever. That's wrong culture, Bobby. He's talking about people, not that. Right? No, but seriously, can you, could you imagine that? Have you ever destroyed a culture? Oh, listen to this one. Did you come to Earth for evil purposes? You're sitting here on pop cans. Don't sweat, don't sweat, don't sweat. And listen, have you ever zapped anyone? You know, like an alien. Wow. Now, again, we haven't even got into his version of history, which is a science fiction story. Okay, Mr. Zenu, right? Wait till we get to that. And that'll explain why is he bringing up these kind of, are you an alien, another world, and zapping people, and whatever. Okay, so basically, the U.S. government, now they got a file on this guy, the FBI. And again, remember, he was already noted earlier as a mental case, direct quotes there. Uh, but then now the police starts going after him because complaints and things, prosecutions. Then he started out as a church, but guess what? They ran into, I, in 1958, IRS says, oh, no, you don't. And they pulled his uh, status there because of uh, uh, this, his, uh, quote, uh, making such a high amount of money, and it was supposed to be a nonprofit, right? Him personally, right? Uh, drawn in so much cash, okay? So they, they yanked that from him. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but we'll probably get into that later in their history. Uh, I think it was 19, it was in the 90s, I believe, that they, 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 that's their big thing. It's called the war is over. They got their status back. And now they're really to raking in 
uh, big, big bucks, okay? But, but it got pulled, okay? And, uh, and then he basically starts getting, again, a bad reputation, right? He's bad, he's starting to go down, right? They're trying to pull him down again, right? And this is all over the world, not just in the United States, okay? Uh, and then they, a report is put out on him and it described him as uh, being of doubtful sanity, having a persecution complex, displaying strong indications of paranoid schizophrenia and delusions of grandeur, right? So basically now he's on the run, basically. And what we're going to see in just a second, he does that because he purchases a fleet of ships, right? And the guy goes on the run because governments and people around the world are after them. Now, today, what we're going to see, what you'll see in Scientology is they spiritualize these ships. It's part of their religious journey. Yeah, whatever. This guy's on a lamb, right? But let me get to that in a second. So basically, he, he takes off in these boats that he buys, okay? He's going around the world, and he's getting banned after country, after country, after country. Australia, many parts of Australia says, you ain't coming in here. He's basically looking for a safe haven, right? Because he's on the lamb. People are after him, right? And he's, he's got to keep it going long enough to keep this, you know, this religion thing going. He actually tries to go to uh, Rhodesia, which today is Zimbabwe. He's basically whining and dining because he's got big cash, okay? And the leader says, no, he didn't renew his uh, visa. Uh, then the British Minister of Health, this is in the 60s, in 68 here, uh, he basically uh, uh, no longer permitted Hubbard to even come into the country. Uh, further inquiries were launched in Canada, New Zealand, South Africa, okay? And so basically, this guy's on the run. He's floating in these boats, right, big ships around the world trying to find a safe place to land, right? Nothing spiritual about it at all, okay? But then at this time, right, when everybody's after him, uh, he introduces three things to face this challenge, right? He introduces uh, the, quote, ethics technology, which was to tighten internal discipline with Scientology, right? And uh, then he would even have them, quote, Scientologists were encouraged to disconnect from any organization or individual, including family members that were deemed to be disruptive or suppressive. Now, what does that sound like? That sounds like an, a cult. That's a cult, what they do. You shut off anybody who doesn't go along because they might be out. They don't understand the mission you're on is to save the planet so that the planet can become unlimited, right? To become clear, right? Well, that's what the cults do, right? Now they call it disconnected. They still do it today, right? Remember the Jehovah's Witnesses, what they called it? disfellowship well they call it disconnect right okay so it's the same that's what cults do so it's still in today so he did that number two he required what's called knowledge reports and they still do that today okay on each other reporting on each other in the organization of any quote transgressions or misapplications of scientology methods and then of course there's uh the an, a list of uh crimes and uh, categories of high crimes, misdemeanors, and all that. Then he introduced what's called the fair game policy. Listen to this. It was introduced and that anybody uh, who was deemed an enemy of Scientology, they entered into what they said with this person was now going to be fair game policy. And listen to what that policy is. This person that they deem as an enemy of Scientology, quote, may be deprived of property or injured by any means by any Scientology without any discipline of the Scientologist, and they may be tricked, sued, lied, or destroyed. Still goes on today. But again, you see what's happening. He made up here, lost it all, gained it back, and then some. Here comes this. Oh, no, you don't. And basically what you're going to see, the journey even up to this day, oh, he kind of ebbs and flows and this and whatever, but man, he just, with all these constraints, and literally they develop, I don't have time to get into this, maybe next time, a military force. You know, they're going after people. That's what his third wife took headquarters of. Nobody's ever bringing them down again. And they will sue, they will threaten, and basically out of intimidation, get people to back off. That's how they've been able to continue. Not because it's so wonderful, not because it's scientific, it's because of these threats of this little military police thing that he set up. Nobody was going to bring him down. Okay. And, uh, but basically I don't have, I'll get into this more Lord willing next time, but I want to share one more video. This, this fleet of ships that he came up with and that he bought and he's on the lamb is called Sea Org. There's the org and it's supposed to be a branch that, you know, they're supposed to be going around the world and whatever. But basically, uh, he did this to basically escape 
you know, getting caught and all that stuff. In fact, uh, his personal assistant later recalled, quote, Hubbard said he had to keep moving because there were so many people after him. If they caught up with him, they would cause him so much trouble that he would be unable to continue his work. Scientology would not get into the world and there would be social and economic chaos, if not a nuclear holocaust. So he brainwashed the people inside. Now, believe it or not, this Sea Org thing, which basically was Hubbard's way of being on the lam, trying to find a country to let him in, everybody's banning him. Just, you know, he's just got to keep it going, right? Leah Remini, she was a part of it when she was a teenager, okay? And basically what you're going to say, see is the Sea Org is basically forced labor, okay? But here's her admitting that she was actually involved in that. Let's take a look. She's one of the most outspoken critics of the controversial Church of Scientology, having grown up in a religion that believes in intergalactic theology. Tonight, actress Leah Remini, one of Scientology's highest profile ex-members, taking on its biggest star, Tom Cruise, now finding herself in the crosshairs. She sat down one-on-one -on -one with my Nightline co-anchor, Dan Harris. She was not only TV royalty, starring in the hit CBS sitcom, The King of Queens, but she was also Scientology royalty, gracing the cover of the church's official celebrity magazine. Now, however, Leah Remini has transformed from a fierce defender of the faith. Without any Scientology organization, things are not gonna change on this planet. To the most famous member to leave and go public. With her new book called Troublemaker about to hit shelves, the church is calling her a liar, self-absorbed, rude, and embarrassing as Leah levels scathing criticisms against Scientology and its most well-known follower, Tom Cruise. I think it's a privilege to call yourself a Scientologist, and it's something that you have to earn. In fact, as you will hear tonight, Leah says the beginning of the end of her more than three decades in Scientology came at the Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes wedding. But Leah's Scientology story started, she says, when her mom, Vicky, fresh off a divorce, threw herself into the religion founded by science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard. Eventually, Vicky decided to bring her daughters, Leah and Nicole, in and put them on course. What does that mean, go on course? You learn how to apply the, the techniques of Scientology to yourself and others. So for a kid who was always looking around comparing herself to other people, yeah. to be part of a faith where you had a mission to save... The planet. That must, save the planet. That must have been a big deal. When Leah was a teenager, her mom Vicky decided to enroll her in the Sea Org, the pious, uniformed, full-time religious order of the church, and to move the family down to Scientology's spiritual headquarters in Clearwater, Florida, known as the Flag Land Base. They provide room and board, and you work there, and you sign a billion-year contract. A, a billion-year contract? Correct. And you, as a child, mm -hmm. signed this contract? Correct. There it is in writing, Scientologists believe in reincarnation and Sea Org members are expected to keep working every time they come back. That's Leah and Nicole in their Sea Org uniforms. Smiles notwithstanding, she very quickly started causing problems in the Sea Org. What kind of trouble was she getting into? I think mainly it was her mouth. <laughs> Cherry Ollins, a friend and fellow Sea Org member, says Leah would complain about the living conditions, the food, and the hard work. When you first get into the Sea Org, they have you do physical labor. A lot of us kids cleaning the uniform shirts. What kind of work were you doing? It could, it, it could go from working in a laundry room to working industrial sanders to... Industrial sanders? Mm-hmm. Basically what it is, uh, even to this day, is basically slave labor. But notice how they spiritualize L. Ron's Hubbard uh, method of going on the lam. Right? Hiding from people. It's now the Sea Org. Da -da -da -da. It's the highest order. Of no, it's not. It's the three ships, the whole journey that he was taking on the lam. Okay? But basically what we're going to see, we're going to have to get into this next week. But basically, uh, it is like slave labor. So it's bad enough that they spiritualize L. Ron Hubbard's method of going on the lam, avoiding getting caught, okay, from different countries. Uh, but it's slave labor. They hire these, they bring these people in to basically work the boat for free and all kinds of other stuff. And not only that, I don't have time to get into it tonight, but they also have what's called the RTF or the Rehabilitation Project Force. And that basically is forced labor, and it's been characterized as a forced labor and re-indoctrination program compared to the Soviet gulag system on these boats, right? 
absolutely crazy. They still do the same stuff today, but what we're seeing is where did it all come from? It came from their founder who was involved in the occult, basically promoting a new form of Satanism. It's all about doing whatever you want to do, right? And he, he wrote this book that he made up that was full of a bunch of lies, including the clam stuff from his son, if you can believe that, came crashing down. And then, oh no, that will never happen again. And so he takes it off again. He reworks it as a science, now into a religion, right? And he puts in all these clamps and his total control, even up to this day. The, again, the only reason why it succeeded up to this day is out of fear and intimidation and cult techniques. And he uses the same thing he originally used, high-profile people who can get involved in this who will help him promote. Same thing today. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name the Bible says under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this. Number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins against Him. And you can actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime, and, 
and, and the, the sentence has passed. The judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail. You are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time, and they go to jail. But believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extends to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.